You're listening to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast, recorded July 11th, 2016. The Great Commission, Part 1. Hello and welcome to the Capay Friends Community Church Podcast. Glad you are with us. We're starting a new series this week on the Great Commission. How do we go and make disciples in our time, in our space, in 2016. I hope that this sermon series is very practical. I hope that you're able to walk away from it um, every week with with one key idea. How is it that we go and make uh, disciples? I don't want to oversimplify it by any means, but I, I want us to come out with some very practical ways that we, as the church, go and make disciples in our day and age. In Our time here in 2016 in the Western world, I don't think we're very good at making disciples. And the reason is, is that for a long time here in the Western world, church was a very cultural thing. It was just something people did on Sunday mornings, and it was very easy to get people in the door to hear the gospel message. And in fact, a lot of people um, came to faith by that willingness to walk into the door of a church, they heard a sermon, they were put into small groups, and that all worked very well for a time. And I don't want to knock that, I don't want to dismiss that, but the reality is, is that's not the time we live in. It's increasingly harder to get people to come to church on Sunday morning or to even see a need or a reason why they need to be part of a community. And when I when I refer to church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking um, about an organizational structure, but I'm talking about the very people, not not a building, but the people. Um, and why why does somebody need to be part of a of a community of people that is seeking the heart of God together? And I think less and less people see a need for that. And so what used to be culturally easy to get people in the door to join that community of people that is discerning the heart of God um, has increasingly become much more difficult. Uh, In the area that uh, we live here in uh, the northern, northern part of California, according to a Barna research study, by percentage, this area is ranked fifth most unchurched area in the United States. That means by percentage, less people here are being formed spiritually than almost anywhere else. So the question is, is what are people being formed to? People are not formed to nothing. We're all being formed by something. We're all being formed. It's just a matter of to what it is we're being formed to. And I think all you have to do is you have to look and see where people are spending their time, their energy, and their money. I'm very grateful for uh, for modern technology. In fact, probably a lot of you, you're listening to this on your mobile device or maybe a computer. And with those devices, we're able to be connected, right? We have Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. We have news and we have blogs. And we have access to so much information. We have access to thoughts and opinions, even thoughts and opinions that maybe shouldn't exist. It, it becomes very challenging for our culture to discern what is good. 
And so when you look at where people are spending their time, their energy, their attention, they are going to be formed to a certain worldview uh, based on where their time and energy is focused. Um, There was a few years ago, it came out that Facebook was able to dictate people's emotions by the kind of posts um, that they would put in people's news feeds. So for example, in one news feed, they put a bunch of uh, happy, um, happy posts, you know, pictures of birthday parties, weddings, babies being born, all those happy things. And what they noticed is that how people responded in their own posts tended to be more positive. Then on the other side, they, they filled a news feed with more negative interactions, maybe their political ads or whatever they were, and they noticed that people's posts were more negative. And so the reality is, is that, that where we spend our time, where we spend our energy, where we focus is going to form how we view the world. And if we stay on this trajectory, we have to wonder how future generations will form their beliefs and convictions about the world based on the content they consume digitally, because that is where a lot of people are spending their time. See, it's been through the church, the church, meaning a community of faith in Jesus, together discerning what God is doing in the world, where a lot of us have maybe been formed, or, or maybe you're listening to this and you've never been part of a church. I know for myself, one of the places that I, I've been formed the most is being part of a church community. It's being part of people who are older than me, who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. It's been being part of a community where people are learning and discovering and maybe don't quite um, have a faith of their own yet. But it's been through the church is where I have been formed. It's through the church where I have been discipled by by good, quality, faithful, God-filled leaders. And what happens when we have a culture that doesn't see a need for having uh, godly influences in their life? Those leaders that pour into them, those people that invest into their lives. Um, because those are the people, the people who invested, those youth leaders, those, um, those people who are older than me that, that took time and cared about my well-being, my spiritual uh, well-being, um, have really formed me. And, and what you can say they did was that they discipled me. They made me a disciple, a follower. And I think we... As the church, we need to understand what does it mean for us to make disciples in new church communities who are discerning what God is doing in the world in this digital age. And so first, before we get into it, we get into our text, I want to highlight a few realities for us. The first reality is this. The church will be the church, but it won't look like the church of yesterday. The things that we do in church might change a little bit. The way we gather the our, our structures might look different tomorrow than they do today. How often, think about this, how often do people sing together in our culture? If you go to a baseball game, everybody knows the lyrics to take me out to a ball game, right? Everybody knows that song, but if you think about it, where else do people gather and sing? If you go back 50 years, almost every house had a piano in it. 
And usually somebody in that house knew how to play the piano and people would gather around a piano and they would sing together. Now, that's just not the way what people do anymore and that's fine, that's okay. But increasingly, you go to a church and people gather and they're singing songs and if you've been part of the church, you probably know the songs and if you've never been to the church, you don't know the songs. But even... As our culture has moved forward, less and less people sing. How often have you watched American Idol, right, or one of those singing talent shows, and there's people who think they can sing but really can't? And the reality is is because they've really never done it. They've never sang in front of people or with people. So increasingly what we see is less people singing. Now, is that going to affect how the church worships? I don't know. So so the, there's so so our first reality is the church will be the church but it won't look like the church of yesterday. The second reality is this, it must take seriously scripture and the convictions of the wider community of faith. You know, we need to act based on our convictions about scripture. And we need we need to not act based on what our culture is doing. We need to act based on God's influence, not on the world's influence. And we also need to look at the wider Christian faith and see how our, the people who have gone before us, how they have lived that out. And, and, and so one of the realities for the church is that we need to take seriously scripture and the convictions of our wider community of faith. And the third is this. We must be willing to sacrifice. See, what I believe about this generation of the church needs to be known for is in the midst of cultural transition, it needs to be known for its sacrifice. Future generations of the church need to look back at this generation and see that this generation was willing to do anything to make disciples in the midst of a culture that was changing. That is my hope and prayer for, for our church here in Capay, and that's my hope and prayer for the church in general, is that we are willing to sacrifice, we are willing to do anything to make disciples. I hope that future generations look back at us and they see a group of people who are willing to do anything for the gospel. Uh, in our church, they have a tradition, and we're hoping to change this tradition. It's a little, it's kind of a sad tradition, but downstairs in our basement, there are pictures of the congregation at different stages, and the reason why they took those pictures was because that was the day, the, the pastor's last day at the church, and so they would gather together, and they would take a picture all together. Um, so it's kind of sad. So you look at all these people, and they're gathered together, and and uh, as a church community. And so my hope is hopefully we here at our church will take a picture um, before my call ends ends here. But I hope we, we take that picture and people are able to look back at that picture and say, those are the people who sacrificed. Those are the people who are willing to do anything, the crazy things to make disciples in a day and age where, where everything seems like it's in transition. You go back five years and what you understand is that we live in a different culture, don't we? You go back 10 years and you can see just how much the world has changed. And so my hope and prayer for our generation is that we are known for our sacrifice. 
We're going we're gonna to dive into the Great Commission right now. Turn to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today we're just going to focus on a small portion of this. We're going to talk about verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Jews were ruled by the Romans. And this was a point of shame for them. But they also learned how to operate within that system. They, were, they learned to operate within a system where they were ruled by, by people who were more powerful than them. And one of the, the, the story, or many of the stories that the Jews had in their history was God disrupting power. If you go back to Exodus, what does God do? He takes God's people, um, Hebrew slaves, out of Exodus. He disrupts the people who have power and authority and delivers slaves out of, uh, out of the rule of the Egyptians. When the people of God come across the promised land, what do they see? They see giants in the land, right? That's a form of power, large people, powerful people. And what does God do? He just disrupts the power that exists. Think about David and Goliath. Goliath is this large behemoth of a guy. And the people of God are looking at Goliath. There's no way we can take him. And what does God do through David? God disrupts power. And so at this time, the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah who would deliver them from this power so they themselves, or at least they thought, can have it. But also in their history, they themselves have a problem with power. We see in Kings that Solomon, he builds the temple of God, and then he builds a large temple for himself. He builds armies, he has slaves, he becomes an arms dealer. And so the people of God has struggled with power because whenever they've had power, they just look like the other cultures around them. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what does that look like? for us making disciples. To get a clear picture, I want us to go and turn back to Matthew 22, verse 15. It says this, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. What is taxation? Taxation 
is a symbol of conquest, right? When you are paying money to an empire that has military, that gives you permission to live, that is a sign that you are a conquered people. So when they ask, is it right to pay the imperial tax, what they are asking, is it right to give to Caesar our allegiance? But what they are really saying is that the power and authority that comes from economic gains should give our should we give our money and our economic gains and our power over to Caesar? That's the real question. They're asking, should we give our economic gains and our power, what little we have, should we be giving it to Caesar? And so when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is his, he is doing two things. The first is this. If people just gave their money to Caesar without a fight, it is taking away the feeling of conquest in their own heart. Every time they paid tax, it was an acknowledgement of conquest, pain, and suffering. But if they were willing to just hand it over, something would change within their hearts, this feeling of conquest. And the second is this. It sets them free from having to pursue power and authority. See, the way they view gaining power and authority is through wealth. Wealth to have influence, wealth to build empires, wealth to build armies, wealth to conquer. And so what we see is the people in Jesus' day had a real problem with power and authority just like we do today. Because the central belief was that if we can gain enough, then we ourselves can have power and authority. And so we operate on the assumption that if we gain power and influence or take it away from those bad people over there, then we can have peace, right? Isn't that the assumption of every war? If we can gain power and influence or take it away from those people over there, then we could have peace, right? That's how wars start. Or isn't that the assumption of every political process? If we can take power and influence away from them, then we can have the right politics. Or get this, isn't that the assumption of every church dispute? Right? If we can just have enough power and influence, then we can move this church in the right direction. Or isn't that the assumption with our relationships? If my spouse just listened to me and sees things the way I do, then we can have peace. So we have to ask the question, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, we have to ask the question, what does Jesus do with power and authority? Let's take a look. This comes from Matthew chapter 27. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. 
and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will deliver him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants, wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also helped heaped insults on him. So what does Jesus do with power and authority? What does the Son of God who comes and walks the dusty earth, who sweats, who sheds tears, who is the God of all creation, what does he do with his power? He lays it down. We get this image of Jesus on the cross and people hurling insults at him this is what jesus does with power and authority jesus reminds us of his power and authority so that we can imitate it right that's the reason why i think jesus he says all power and authority has been given to me because that raises the question how does jesus handle power and authority He lays it down. All power and authority has been given to me. What did Jesus do with it? He laid it down. So what does that mean for us making disciples? I believe for this generation to make disciples, we need to be willing to lay everything down. For some, that might mean being more generous financially. For some, that may mean more generous with your time. For some, that may mean being more vulnerable with those around you. And for some, it might mean starting a new church or going out onto the mission field. We need to be willing to lay everything down. All the power, all the authority that we have amassed, all the influence that we have gained, are we willing to lay it down to make disciples because what we see that's what jesus does with power and authority he lays it down for the sake of saving you and me for the sake of making disciples the other day somebody asked me how long i i uh, plan to be here at cape friends and and my response was this when when we are intentionally sending out church planners, when we're sending out missionaries and leaders to other churches, I will know we have fulfilled our call here as a church. I will know my call is fulfilled when we are intentionally sending out church planners. Because I think one of the, one of the temptations for us as the church is just to try to amass a gathering, amass a lot of people so that we can bolster ourselves, but but we are charged to go. And so my hope for, for our church here is that we are willing to send out our very best. How incredible would it be for us to intentionally grow our church so that then we could send out half of it to plant another church in a surrounding city here? How incredible would it be for, for us to be sending our own missionaries right here from Capay to go and serve in Cambodia? 
How incredible would it be to be discipling leaders who become children's pastors and youth pastors and worship leaders and senior pastors who go out and spread the gospel? My friend Scott Sward, who's uh, one of our missionaries in Cambodia, says that, you know, we don't need your money. What we need is your children. Meaning what we need is disciples who are sent out to carry out the mission of God. See, one of the things that we need to be doing as the church, we need to be raising our children with an attitude of sacrifice. We as the church need to be willing to, to raise up disciples to send them out. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit sends out Paul and Barnabas. It's this church, they're gathered together and they're trying to discern what God is calling them to do and what they're called to do is to send out their very best. They send out Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey and what that means is that that church is going to suffer a little bit because Paul and Barnabas are what they would probably call their, their weighty church members. That means the, the people who had the greatest influence, who, who were the most dynamic speakers, who were doing some of the greatest ministries, the church sent them out. I imagine maybe some people in the church were, well, well if they would have stayed, we could have built a giant mega church. We could have had this giant thing going. But no, what they understand is that the mission of God is bigger, and they send them out. They sacrifice. Are we as the church willing to lay down our power, our wealth, our influence for the sake of making disciples? I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus, he starts off with, all power and authority has been given to me. Because when we look what Jesus does with power and authority, I think that's a guiding post of what it's going to mean for us to make disciples in our day and age. Our day and age needs to see a culture of people who are willing to sacrifice, not gain more for themselves, not get more likes on their Facebook page, not, not, not to be self-absorbed, but who are willing to sacrifice their identity, their wealth, all who they are for the sake of the gospel. And that's where, who, what we are called to as the church. And, and dear friends, if, if, if we can't sacrifice, if we're not willing to lay down our power and wealth and our influence for the sake of the gospel, then what are we doing as the church? We need to be willing to lay it all down on the line to make disciples. That is my hope and that is my prayer for you as you go about your week that that the holy spirit would work within you that would show you those those places where maybe you need to sacrifice a little bit more those places where where maybe you need to lay some things down maybe there's some conversations with some with some people that you need to have sometimes that sacrifice just might mean your comfort are we willing to do that to make disciples. May you go in the grace and peace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be willing to sacrifice just as he did.